Hey friends, before we start the show today, we have awesome news. We've partnered with Direwolf Digital and Leader Games to bring free copies of Root to the Good Time Society community. If you or a friend are looking for a hard copy of Root's physical game or a Steam key for the digital version, head on over to our Twitter page, at Good Time Society, for rules and entry details. We'll announce the winners on a future episode. All right, on to the show. lot of experience with uh, boats in general i love the idea of like sailing out on the open seas but i personally have been on like four boats ever. <laughs> now, you're more of a do-it-yourself kind of guy sam you like to just swim everywhere yeah yeah i'll just yeah yeah that's the thing why need a boat when i've got my two arms and my core muscles <laughs> well you uh you come from a, a water mobile family yes right? yeah yeah I come from a long line of river folk company. Um, yeah, my whole family's like swim coaches. So that was something we were taught early on. And also how to price our hand cards responsibly. That's right. It's the river folk company episode with a flawless segue. Well done, Sam. Well, I didn't know you were. I mean, I knew your parent. I knew your dad was a swim coach. I didn't know you were a swimmer. I've never seen you wet except from rain. Yeah, well, when you're a child and you grow up at a pool and all your birthdays are at the high school pool, and now I like to stay dry at parties, you know? I just like All to... of your childhood birthdays were at the high school pool? Not all of them, but yeah, a good amount of them. Well, at least you always had a pool. Yeah, that was cool. free, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what's not free is swimming in the river. It's no. going to cost you funds. Yeah, nice double transition to get us back on track. Absolutely, guys. We're talking about the River Folk Company. This is one of the most fun factions in Root. I'm so excited that we're talking about them on this episode because not only are they super fun to play, but they're also just super fun to have in the game. I feel like everybody loves like, oh, wait, there is a there is a way out of this situation because mm -hmm. you're in the game, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, it's so easy to just get a game. You know, there's like some games where it's like, you do everything you can and then just like, I don't know, the Vagabond wins or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime the river folk are present, you're going to get a game. Yeah. Like, there's some wacky stuff can happen. It's pretty good. Guaranteed intrigue, right? Because options open up for everybody in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of covered it in the, like, meta episode because this is the meta faction. Um, but we can, as the river folk, we can get paid to do a lot of things just because there is this weird currency of like unused warriors that the river folk mm -hmm. get to use. All of a sudden, uh, the table becomes a lot more social because there's someone we can pay to handle some of our problems for us mm -hmm. or pay to solve <laughs> our own problems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or to just create problems that then are very hard to solve because you can't pay them to solve their own problems. Yeah, when they become the problem, that's a problem. Uh, but actually, Kyle, you can, and we'll get into this, but you can pay the river folk to deal with themselves and we'll, we'll get into exactly how to do that. And that might be one of the most effective ways of dealing with them. I'm very excited about that. All right. So I've been tasked with introducing everyone to the river folk company. I, I have to admit kind of going into this, that the river folk were sort of a mystery to me for a long time and that I just didn't have that much experience playing with them. And I always felt a little clumsy with the river folk because it's sort of like the goal that you intuit based on the faction sort of flavor. Um, 
it doesn't quite match up with what has sort of arisen uh, to become its sort of base strategy. So we're hoping to kind of untangle this this faction a bit today. And uh, let's just start by saying that, hey, welcome to the expansion factions, listeners at home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, we are dipping a toe into the river. Uh, the Riverfolk expansion was released in 2018, um, and it, it sort of accompanied the base game on Kickstarter. Uh, and it had two brand new factions, the Riverfolk Company and the Lizard Cult. Um, I have written here that, that both factions played with or sort of incorporated some Eurogame flavored mechanics, uh, like worker placement, uh, specifically for the Riverfolk Company. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they're kind of twisted to suit a war game end. Uh, so Eurogame means to a war game end, which I think is kind of fun. It's a fun flavor. Mm-hmm. But while the lizard cult would eventually garner a reputation as Root's doofy underdog, the Riverfolk Company would go on to a life of fame and fortune, winning multiple tournaments and tournament games and generally becoming viewed as a top tier faction. That's so, I mean, that's absolutely the case. Uh, in every one of my tournament games, I kind of played the best faction available and then just kind of went down the list. So my first game, I played the Vagabond, of course. Second game, I played the Riverfolk Company. I view them as the second best faction. And maybe oh. Molds. Well, when we get into Molds, I think there's definitely an argument for Molds uh, being up there. Um, but for my play style, I love playing the Riverfolk Company. Yeah, I feel like you're really good at it, Sam. You just you naturally are, are very like social and, and are good at talking to the board and seeing things from other people's perspectives. So like, mm-hmm. you're 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 always offering solutions to other people's problems on the board which is a great thing to do as the otters and as you kind of said earlier sam like it's such a meta adjacent faction and for me it always shatters the meta of any game like once three factions are picked people start to form opinions but then once the river folk are picked those opinions don't matter as much anymore because every turn uh just has possibilities for everyone right Mm mm-hmm so you can't take those assumptions that you have about your enemies anymore because they aren't just their faction anymore. They're a faction with a few other options. That's true. Yeah. You think you can corner the birds all in one thing and then wham, bam, they mm-hmm. can buy mercenaries from the river folk or they can buy river boats and get to a place that you didn't foresee. So you're right, Jake. All of your opponents are also enhanced with the river folk company, not just you. It's true. The river folk can, can be a very convenient escape hatch. And as we'll see, they actually really thrive in those moments when players' options are super reduced, because then they can lift those prices and extort the hell out of their opponents. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Just to do some numbers stuff real quick, according to Lily G's excellent data set at makecraftgame.com, go check it out for uh, a bunch of really cool content, the River Folk were chosen 14 times in the Woodland uh, Warriors Winter Tournament, and they won six of those games, giving them an insane almost 50% win rate. That's that crazy. Big, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's like pretty, for a root faction to get that close to 50% is pretty amazing. I think it was the highest win percent in the, the whole tournament wow. um, based on the data. Um, so, and then also they were chosen almost every time they came up in the plus one draft, meaning that players seem to be aware that they are a very powerful faction. In the recent Space Cats Peace Turtles Patreon tournament, they picked up five wins. 
And uh, Sam, you famously closed out the 2020 test tournament with a Riverfolk win that shocked the world and catapulted <laughs> Murder She Root to everlasting glory. Of course, <laughs> I, of course. I, uh, hold your applause, please. I'll sign your shirts later. I'll edit oh. out the applause that we did for the full five minutes. Okay, that, that's good <laughs> because I can't take it anymore, people. I need to be able to buy some groceries for Christ's sake. All right. Um, no. Uh, what I do want to say about the otters and the tournaments is it's a fantastic tournament faction because everybody needs just a little bit of an edge over the other players right you can't let you know when the first person buys from the riverfolk company and gets a card okay well now they're set up and then the next person does it and it's like okay well am i going to continue to feed the riverfolk which is a bad idea or am i going to be behind everybody which is also a bad idea and it's super easy as soon as (laughs) The, the, the temperature starts rising on, I need a little help to win this tournament game that's do or die. People keep shelling out funds and funds and funds <laughs> to the Riverfolk Company. And uh, as a result, they do pretty well in those tournaments. And I think famously in that game, uh, there was one faction that was getting kind of ahead early in the game. And they were totally stonewalling the Riverfolk. They were like, I don't need your services. I'm doing fine. I'm getting ahead on my own. And then the other two players were like, we have to stop them. I will pay you to stop them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I kept saying, and I, and I believe this about the river folk, you got to be like, my turn is everyone's turn. <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what should we all do, guys? What should we do? Uh, and I need resources from everyone if, uh, if it's going to be my turn that we do it on, you know? And uh, yeah. You can, you can, and it's not a bad idea. It's really easy to get entangled with the river folk, which is what everybody wants. Well, you're aided by the game design, which uh, very cleverly made your hand, because your hand is open, right? They made even a board for your hand that goes up in front of your board so people can see your wares that you can Mm -hmm. display, right? Cards here. Get your cards here. Yeah. So that's even just a little bit of a psychological nudging towards working with them. And you should use everything you can to your advantage. And even something as simple as that is an asset you as a merchant i remember in that game i turned my board upside down so the cards would face everybody else yes and then a matt and hunter redid it around because it was bad for tv but oh. I, uh, I was trying to Ooh. like my cards aren't even my cards you guys should have first look at them you know <laughs> oh i love that that's a great choice you should all players should do that you should present your wares so the customer can read them uh, in the Riverfolk expansion, at least in the later printings, they just give you like one or two of those like little card rails. Um, and when we play in IRL, we always use the card rail for the Riverfolk expansion. So they have like a billboard for their <laughs> cards to sell. Yeah. So let's get into some of the uh, the flavor, the like thematic flavor of the Riverfolk. Uh, yeah. They are the mercenaries of the woodland. They are salespeople, right? It is a company. And they are war profiteers. The Riverfolk Company are the sleazy, shady, predatory lenders of the woodland. Selling their services and hawking their wares to any faction who will pony up the price, only to then inevitably take advantage of the factions who are in a desperate situation. You need to move along the river? You need some extra support or muscle for your cause? Well, the Riverfolk are always happy to help. For a price. <laughs> Is that your otter voice? I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think they've they've got this kind of like swaggery like used car charm salesman. about them. But yeah. I love the meeples. The meeples are so cute for the Riverfolk Company. But if you look at the art uh for the otters, I feel like they're not charming looking. 
You know, they're not the cutest animals of the woodland. These otters are like kind of like round and they're like grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do look like linebackers for sure. <laughs> yeah. They all look like uh, managers that got promoted early and just never beyond manager, right? <laughs> it's sort of interesting because otters, the creature, they're like lithe, like, mm-hmm. you know, adorable. sort of, you know, river things, but... <laughs> Yeah, the, as depicted by Kyle Farron's lovely art, they they do appear to be very managerial. <laughs> and your description, <laughs> and your description said sleazy, shady, and predatory. Uh, mm-hmm. there, is there no is there no kind view for them? Because that's what, as Sam was saying, you have to be a little bit diplomatic, right? It's, uh, it's our, my turn is our turn. Is there a? I guess is that the sleazy part? Because he that's he wants... the sleazy part. Because you're <laughs> going to win the game. You're going to attack those people. You're going yeah. to promise something and not deliver on that promise. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's predatory lending in a nutshell, right? <laughs> like you you will get this thing that you need from me. I'm happy to offer it to you. Unfortunately, it's going to matter way more for me than it is yes, for you. I'm going to use run. it to demolish you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll later on use those meeples you just gave me to go and and you know, bash your cardboard. So, mm. watch out. So, what are the main core stats of the river folk? Yeah. We've got ourselves another insurgent faction, though I feel like this one is the most hybrid of them. Because the river folk can definitely do some policing, especially if they're, you know, uh, funded to. Um, they don't have any inherent battle advantages, except for the battling and moving economy for them isn't very costly. It, it still costs some actions, but it's not actions that they lose over the course of their turn because they don't have to spend funds. They only have to commit them to move and battle. So that's that's kind of handy. They've got 15 warriors to work with. They have uh, one kind of token, which is called a trade post. They have nine of those, three of each suit. Something to note about the trade posts. Um, You get two points every time you put one down. And they come with a garrison. They come with an otter, guys. This is one of our forgotten rules. Remember that. You put that trade post down, you get an otter there. Okay? Uh, That was one of the 27 most misplayed rules, wasn't it? That is right. Yeah. I don't remember which number it was, and it's really not important. But I did remember that. I did remember uh, that fact because it feels like because it's an insurgent faction, they get so few warriors on the board in general, right? So you got to remember to do that when you build a trading post. It is, it is costly critical. to recruit, and right? So putting out the trade post, getting two points, and getting a warrior—that's a great action that they can take. And then another tricky thing about trade posts is when they are removed, they are removed from the game. They do not go back oh, to right. the otter's board. Uh, and we'll talk about how that's actually just a huge positive for the Riverfolk Company. It's pretty. It can be really nice for their end game, especially. Yeah. Um, one thing I've seen on Tabletop Simulator that I really enjoy is uh, people have created, you know, how you can kind of like draw on the table. So mm-hmm. people have created these like boxes that, <laughs> that, you know, if a player kills a trade post... They will, you know, remove the trade post from the board. They'll just place it on the table in front of that player's player board, draw a box around it and say, like, betrayal box or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And just, like, remind them of, you know, try and use that as the horrors of war. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, I do see a lot of people using the draw tool to be like, fire sale like these are available for anyone just to like spruce up the thing that's great yeah it's great i love seeing tactics like that or when you're in real life with somebody and you're you're like handing them the card and like getting it in their hands so that they look at it and they go oh man it's gonna be hard to give this card back 
You know, I love all those. How's kind your of drink? Like, Do you need a refill? I can get up and get you one <laughs> for a price. For a, yeah. a price. So yeah. Now I uh, know I said I was going to give you a ride home after the game, but <laughs> I played a game with uh, Lord of the Board, and in that game, when the person playing the River Folk, they were like, "I'll give you forty five dollars <laughs> if you buy this card." <laughs> well, so that's the other thing about this faction that's kind of crazy is it introduces economy, which doesn't really exist in this game, except for I guess cards slash items, right? But even right. those are very limited in their economic uses. Can't really you, trade them, yeah. Yeah, and Kyle, you said that like they introduced a worker placement mechanic. Is that? Are you saying because like the warriors are placed to certain boxes is what you're saying, or is it because fu- warriors act as funds? Yeah, I guess more just that they like go in specific boxes and you and you commit one meeple to take one action, right, for right. example, and then some of them you place in order to craft, and so they're like occupying these like little spots on the player yeah. board in a very worker placement like adjacent format. Yeah, the resource management and like the price. Uh, chart that you can kind of manipulate makes it feel like a euro uh, economic game to me as well mm-hmm. for sure Definitely. and I love that that they've introduced that that's like it's so great that it is also technically came out right when the base game did so it was already introduced even though it's from an expansion oh yeah um, the river folk also have a great ability called swimmers that says the river folk treat rivers as paths and may move along rivers regardless of who rules their origin or destination clearing. This, I think, might be the best ability that this faction has. Uh, the fact that they can run the river without mattering who rules what clearing, they can just like move along it, um, scoot away from danger. They can, you know, suddenly arrive at a clearing along the river and establish a trade post or battle or whatever. This gives them the mobility. This gives them the juice they need to get really far in the game. Swimmers, great ability. Yeah. And with Riverboats, you can give that ability to other players. Uh, There's also the card in the Exiles and Partisans deck, uh, Boat Builders, that gives you this ability. But uh, I I always wonder that. Like, how mad are the river folk when someone crafts Boat Builders? And be like, geez, okay. Well, you could (laughs) have just paid me, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about the services. Uh, we do have yeah. river boats, which is, uh, you you know, you can treat rivers as paths for the rest of the turn. And uh, that is definitely probably the low service on the totem pole, right? I think That's, so, yeah. It doesn't provide their benefit of not worrying about rule, right? So with swimmers, they don't have to worry about ruling one clearing that they're either leaving or uh, heading towards. Right, right. And that is, I think, the element that is super important for the river folk. Yeah, Jake, that's a great distinction because I think the other two instances, um, river boats and boat builders, they just treat the river as path, but you would still have to rule uh, normal movement rules. But swimmers is the exception. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But no, I definitely agree with you, Sam, that when someone crafts boat builders, uh, the otters are going like, oh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But like you said, Kyle, river boats is the low service on the totem pole. So it's like. Uh, maybe I could still get someone else to buy it eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, I think it's just because it's situational, right? They need to be able to use the river. They have to get to a clearing where that's like way beneficial for them to actually do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It can be crucial, especially if you're Erie dynasties, I would be checking out moving along the river, but cats in general, can use it as well to get yeah. wood to far flung clearings. It's, mm-hmm. it sometimes can be helpful if like the lizards are in the game and, 
you know, I've kind of like choked off a part of the map with their gardens or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very situational. It's probably going to be the least used of the services. Yeah, and there's no like bad thing about pricing it low. I mean, don't price things at one. Let's, you know, we'll we'll have an argument about pricing things at one. I think, but <laughs> in general, riverboats. If you keep them at two the whole game, that's never going to come back to bite you. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, if people want to buy riverboats, like, let them. You know yeah, what I mean? Just, like, it's, yeah. <laughs> just don't laugh when they do it, because then they won't buy again. Haha, <laughs> 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 you fool. I mean, thank you. <laughs> you rube! <laughs> Enjoy your ride down the river. <laughs> it's probably very helpful for them if they're buying it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but we should talk about the service that is the headline for the otters, and that is hand cards. Mm-hmm. The otters have a public hand, so everyone can see it at all times, including during setup, uh, which is important for advanced setup and uh, during plus one draft and other uh, classic setup and all of that. So right from the get-go, you see what the hand of cards is that is available to you as you're setting up, which mm-hmm. could influence how players set up at the beginning of the game. Very interesting. Um, it is your job as the otters to uh, remind people that your hand is available for purchase. Uh, and I, almost more than any other service, I would say, the hand of cards is the subject of most salesmanship, I, I think. Yeah. Sam, do you back me up on that? Yeah, 100%. This is not situational. You can almost always think how my turn could be better if I had one of those cards, especially if you're moles or lizards where it's like I'm revealing cards to do things that can be key. If it's a card that you want to craft, right? There's just there's so many there's so much potential in hand cards. Uh, So as the river folk, it's important to keep that stocked. Many of your actions, especially early on in the game, will most likely be like filling up your hand of cards to make sure it's good. I often sometimes will overdraw. You know, it's not great, but if you got nothing else you're doing, you can overdraw to just curate the best set of cards for sale. Well, that's an interesting tactic I hadn't thought of. I like that. It's very helpful. And yeah, much like a, you know, grocery store middle manager, you you want to encourage uh, the the shelves need to look full. You know, (laughs) buyers are encouraged psychologically when the shelves look stocked. Put the best stuff on the end caps. And then lastly, we have mercenaries. Mercenaries is a little complicated. Basically, you can uh, use the otter warriors that are on the map, treat them as your own uh, during, I think, daylight and evening for battle and for rule. So you can't move them, but they are yours for rule and for battle. So if you're the Eerie Dynasties and you need to build somewhere, um, you can use them to build to rule a clearing. If you're the cats and you want to battle something in a clearing where the river folk are... Um, grab mercenaries and start a battle. <laughs> and like Kyle said, that applies for daylight and evening. So you can't, you know, buy mercenaries to then pull off your dominance victory, which is a shame. That would be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I understand why that's not the case. Yeah, that'd um, be brutal if the mercenaries won it for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are There's a school of thought with mercenaries where you always want to price it at four. And this is because mercenaries can be used against you. This is what I was talking about earlier, where 
people can buy your mercenaries. And usually when they buy your mercenaries and they have warriors in the same clearing, like let's say it's the cats, they buy mercenaries from the otters and they're attacking the birds. You have to split the hits you receive with the river folk company. So the river folk company takes a hit and then the cats would take a hit if, if the birds had two hits on them, right? But what you can do is you can just buy their services and not be in that clearing and have them battle somebody else and battle away their own otters, right? Maybe you remove cardboard. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're just diminishing the otter's presence on the board, which will kind of be, I feel like their Achilles heel is how costly it is to recruit and so if they price their mercenaries too low, they can be taken advantage of where they get paid a little bit, but they essentially lose a bunch of otters on the board. And what they lose is not doesn't make up for what you paid. It's true. I, I think the school of thought of always keep mercenaries at four is is a good like rule of thumb. But you have to be aware because there are certain situations where you can lower it to try and make it a little more attractive. Um, in a situation where your like, stack of otter warriors is in the same clearing is sharing a clearing with another army definitely set mercs to four because you know any any chance another player will get to reduce two armies for the price of one they'll definitely take that opportunity and i've seen it happen in games where you know otters are looking good eerie's looking good at the end of a third party's turn neither is is looking so hot anymore Um, but there are cases where you can set it to two and just occupy like an important choke point or something like that and in order to get the if you're the cats, for instance, in order to get the wood somewhere or um, just to make movement easier. Oh, get the wood somewhere. Boy, I, you, that's, there's little things like that that I forget about. Like, oh, yeah, I need rule here. Well, I can accomplish it with mercenaries. I never. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, you can, you know, control the pass and sell the pass point uh, on your turn, which I like to do as the otters. I think that's super fun. Um, Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the thing that Jake was about to get into, which is extortion otters okay (laughs) or sometimes called the cat tax okay this is a hyper aggressive otter move where they like move their whole otter ball into the keep turn one this is the most egregious example right they move all their otters into the keep turn one and then basically be like cats come pay me right pay me to move your wood for your first turn I think I think I speak for the podcast when I say we are not recommending you do this. This is going to turn your best customer, the cats, against you. And it's actually not good. It actually isn't good. It, apart from it being mean and like <laughs> I'm I need I'm a I need everything with kid gloves, you know, I don't like to be lied to. Um I think that uh it's just a bad play because here's what here's what the cats will do if they know what they're doing. They're gonna march two cats in there. So they'll have three, and they'll just battle you a couple times. And every cat that they lose, they'll just field hospital. And every otter you lose is a very costly recruit for you in the future that you now have only two people that will buy from you. So you've really cut off your options and started the game behind. Yeah, you did some damage to the cats. Congratulations. It was the cats. What did you accomplish? You didn't accomplish anything. And you've cost yourself the whole early game. Right, and the cats are now busy dealing with you. Therefore, two other people have full run of the table. Not that the cats are necessarily going to stop them, but the cats have no focus on that anymore. Right. Yeah, Uh, the cats should be the easiest customer you've ever had. Like They are going to buy from you multiple times in the game if you do barely anything to like pitch your services to them. 
they should be one of your best friends as the otter. So like, don't alienate them on turn one. Um, Marcus the cat says extortion tactics make no friends. Otters should always be presenting opportunities. Ooh, and I that. do th- think I agree with that outlook in general. And like, we're we're three pretty nice guys in this podcast. Like, <laughs> I just feel like cutthroat tactics like this, aside from being just kind of like a bummer, um, are strategically putting you in a unnecessarily risky position for not that much benefit. Yeah. Because yeah. also don't forget, too, that the keep, if it's away from the river, even if you, like, survive that early attack, like, how are you getting back to the river to set up a trade post? Like, you can't drop a trade post at the keep. So, like, your scoring slows way down, your warrior generation slows way down, and nobody's buying from you. Like, it, yeah, it, it could be a bit rough. Lastly, the thing about this is that the cat's much like in the case of the vagabond like the cats are your points pinata for the end of the game so like don't be afraid to fatten them up a little bit (laughs) (laughs) be their friend you know um so yeah cat tax or like early otter extortion i think is there are more optimal ways to get set up i mean i would also say that extortion in general is like to be used only in the most needed of circumstances and probably at the end of the game when it's like required for you to win because you need to make deals of some sort like it's not it's not this isn't a game that literally you do have a lot of options for trade it's three services that you can do right so it's Mm -hmm. it's still very narrow but your asset more than any other faction is communication and Mm -hmm. if the communication is hostile people aren't going to want to communicate with you further (laughs) so (laughs) you're already hostile on the board why not at least have the conversation be nice right it's like pushing a shopping cart in front like behind someone's car before they can leave the parking lot (laughs) of your grocery store and just being like buy this watermelon And they're like, but I don't, I already left the store. Like, I have everything I need to go home. They're like, buy a watermelon or you can't leave. I what you love- do is you you hit the cart with the car. Jason, I understand <laughs> yeah. it's your first day, but you got to bring the watermelons back in. We'll, we'll get them on the end caps or something. You can't be harassing the customers. <laughs> a lot of grocery store talk today. I'm, I'm loving it. I, I know we're all middle managers here, so I can't technically give you an order. But I swim faster than you, so I'm in charge. <laughs> you know that's how this hierarchy works. <laughs> so let's talk about how these guys score points, okay? Because it's kind of strange. They Their scoring is very dependent on other players. Obviously, you can. there's going to be ways you can survive on only a few funds. If you play very efficiently, you can be fine. But overall, it's going to be very situational- about how much input we're getting in for funds and how much we're actually able to score. The otters are one of the factions, I would say, that you're going to want to not put the gas on too much, especially early on. You could you can put yourself in a position where you score a bunch of points ahead of everybody, and then here comes the starving of the otters part of the game. Yeah. What you want to do is keep behind one or two players, but just remain competitive Keep building that engine. Keep building those otters coming into our system. Get more and more actions every turn until we start to burst. This still kind of goes back to what we were just saying, which is that you don't want to be threatening. So don't look like a threat, right? Still, yeah, be, yeah. be a mom and pop shop. Don't don't grow to Amazon in the second turn, right? <laughs> <laughs> so but what you were saying earlier, Sam, I want to 
understand. So you're saying how we score points is we rely on other people. And what you mean by that is is that we rely on other people to get funds. And funds are how we fuel our engine, and our engine is how we do things in the game. So, like, yeah. where do our points come from, though? Because we have – is it nine trading posts yeah. in the game? And then we can't rebuild them, So and they're worth two points each. So that's 18 points if we get all of them, which seems absurd. So, like, where where do they come from? Yeah, I would say you're going to put down most of your trade posts. Okay. All of them might be a little... I mean, it's certainly possible to put them all down. It's not like out of the realm of possibility, but I don't know if you can reliably say you're getting every single one of them down. Uh, you're going to find a lot of points through crafting. We'll get into it in a second how good of crafters they are, but we're going to hope to pick up several points from crafting and then a late game push of uh, having an otter death ball that moves and uh, destroys things for cardboard. Okay, so there, but is that always a like? Is that a contingency, or is that the game plan? Is Otter Ball end game? Because you gotta get rid of cardboard to get get to thirty. I like to think of it like this, Jake. It, it's sort of the the Otter Death Ball is the the big threat. Like you can swing that around and pretty much wreck shop at the end of the game if mm -hmm. you have enough funds and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that is a, a big threat, uh, but it's not the only way to close out the game. And when we kind of are breaking down the game plan in more detail, I, I'm excited to tell you about the two end games that the otters typically okay. face. All right. I'm excited to get there. Uh, suffice it to say, the main scoring method on the otters board is placing trade posts for two points each. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the way that the funds work for that is you place a trade post on a clearing ruled by the meeples that you have. So if it's cat meeples you place it on a clearing that the cats rule um which is interesting because it inherently makes certain factions funds more valuable than other factions or more flexible at least yeah. than other factions because you know the the birds for instance they tend to rule a bunch of clearings around the map so their meeples are going to be way easier to like drop down as a trade post but the interesting thing that you mentioned the fact that there's a cap at 18 points of available trade posts means that you always are trying to make up that 12 point difference in a game as the otters you're always looking for ways to close that gap uh, whether it's through crafting or through cardboard uh, management <laughs> as we say nicely <laughs> but it's important that we do get enough funds to put these trade posts down and the way we're going to do that is selling <laughs> now like jake said we actually the options are not unlimited to what we can sell. We got three services, and we've only got four prices to put those services at. Okay? So let's talk about selling things for one. Okay? One meeple. I think the big question is, should you ever even do this? Yes. Kyle, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Out of the gate with the hot take. What wow. are you talking about? Why? All right. So why this is, uh, why this is controversial is... Uh, protectionism is the first thing that happens in the otter's bird song and that means if they didn't get paid anything on their last turn they get two of their own warriors in in the payments box so if you only get paid one and no one else buys you've actually got a net negative of what you usually would get so kyle defend setting your prices at one there is exactly one moment in the game <laughs> when you can set your prices at one uh -huh. and that is during setup okay on your first turn as the riverboat company you don't get protectionism right so anything you get paid is a net positive on that first turn as soon as your first turn happens and you set prices at the very end of evening 
bump it to two. You know, don't lose funds. Like, <laughs> come on, what do you, <laughs> what do you think this is? <laughs> you know, we're giving stuff away for free, right? Uh, this is a grocery store, sir. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but start start at one. It's sort of the like coupon for you know the first customer of the day. I think it, it's a good way to start encouraging players to interact with the otters as well. And it may just be one fund, but that is an extra card you can draw on your first turn. Which is what very service helpful. are you selling? Uh, you can I, usually what I do is mercenaries and riverboats at one, hand card at two. Wow! Um, but you can also do hand card at one if you have. Like, not-so-good cards. (laughs) So you start out as, like, a discount shop on your first turn. That's right. You can Mm -hmm. kind of be a pawn shop on turn one. Interesting. That's the soft open of the Riverfolk Company. But but otherwise, don't ever do one, right? Beyond that circumstance, right? Even still, I mean, I feel like there's a debate to be had here. Like, you could probably get paid, too, right? Maybe. But selling at one is technically possible during setup. Yeah, I I hear what I think that you're right, and that is a good thing to keep in mind that selling at one is possible. I still think you probably, especially for a, a hand card, probably a hand two. card. Yeah, it's yeah. probably worth two. Yeah, I mean it depends on the the faction mix, obviously, in the table, and yeah, if if everyone seems really reluctant, like if you kind of get the impression that everyone has like a chip on their shoulder about the river, folk, yeah, right, like, yeah, that's a good way to sort of. Start to break down those. Yeah, barriers. I love that yeah. though because you have the big, you have like the the best ability to rewrite the story at the table about you as a faction because everybody comes in with these, you know, they come in with expectations and you can dash those. Every every faction should be able to do those, but some of them just can't because they have to play how they have to play. But the otters have a lot more choices and dynamics in that way. That's right. So not always, but sometimes during setup, you can set your price at one. <laughs> Wait, real quickly though, like, isn't there a downside to having somebody buy mercenaries from you at one? What could they do with that? They could battle, but there's probably not too much An opportunity in yet. that clearing right. to really mess you up. But I would say probably losing an otter on the board to a turn one battle is worse, right? Like, you wouldn't want to get paid one and lose an otter on the board. Yeah, I, I don't know. One otter is not so bad early in the game because you can drop a trade post and get that otter right back Mm -hmm. like you'll be at four instead of five Mm -hmm. i don't know i i still think that it's it's not the biggest setback in the world and you get to draw an extra card on your first turn like that card advantage seems worth one warrior to me yeah that early in the game at least this is a great debate i'm I'm glad we're having it (laughs) i've been trying to like test some of my theories on uh, root digital which just released the Riverfolk expansion. If you haven't heard of Root Digital before, we'll leave a link in the uh, description of this podcast. But also go back and listen to the previous episode where we discuss Root Digital in great length. (laughs) Also, if you got through that episode and didn't know about Root Digital, uh, are you really listening? (laughs) (laughs) If we are your background uh, podcast, like, A, thank you, but B, like... (laughs) Us? Really? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about selling it too. This is the main kind of like thing that you want to be, you know, you're highlighting a service if you've set it at two. Yeah, two you're is saying, a good deal. And it's a good deal for everyone. It may seem like it's equal to protectionism or even worse because you're losing a hand card maybe that you'd have to then replace on your next turn. But the value of other players' meeples are just inherently more valuable than your own meeples most of the time. Because 
you need, like Kyle said, to put down trade posts, I need to spend meeples of a clearings ruler. So if I have other people's meeples, then I can spend those in other clearings to put down trade posts. And I don't have to worry about ruling the clearings myself because as we'll talk about kind of with setup and stuff, we kind of want to concentrate our otters in one or maybe two clearings. So it, we're not ruling a lot of clearings. Yes, we could move to a place and rule it, but that's just more action. So other people's meeples are inherently more valuable. So this two for two, uh, this setting your prices at two is better than scoring dividends. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. So, yeah, settling for two, that's the the item that's on sale, basically. That's kind of how I think about it. Because I yeah. think the kind of average price that things cost is probably three. Yeah, I think that's when you have something that you know is valuable. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if, you, if you're setting your prices at two, you're probably like, you guys want a card for its suit? If you're pricing something at three, you're like, you want to craft this card, mm-hmm. and I know it. Or it's an ambush or whatever it is, right? Um, one more thing about uh, other people's meeples, which I like saying, <laughs> is uh, when you spend them and put a trade post in their thing, then they can buy additional services on their turns in the future. So that's just another reason why other people's meeples are more important than your own. Uh, yeah, so when we're selling at three, though, uh, you've got what people want. Okay, uh, I'm thinking like items that people want to craft or coffin makers. Well, coffin makers you might put to four. There's a couple of these cards where, especially depending on what the situation is at the table, you can't let certain cards fall into certain people's hands, which means you might try to price them at four, which is all you can do. At the end of the day, if somebody wants something and they've got the meeples, they can take it from you. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, becoming allied no, yeah. <laughs> you have no choice in that matter. Um, the, the other thing about selling at three that I think we should mention is I think three is a great price for doing somebody else's dirty work for them. So say, for instance, the table requests that you go and punch the vagabond. Totally good request, like happy to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to settle my service costs at three so that when you pay me for this, like it's kind of worth it. You know, I might lose an otter in this you know, adventure here. So uh, to kind of make up the difference, set things at three. I think three is is the kind of like adventuresome, uh, you know, doing the dirty work for the table kind of price. Yeah, I think that's fair. If if you're being asked specifically to do something, I think three is is good. Yeah. And if you if you can negotiate with somebody, uh, you know, maybe be open to go to two, but. I think like starting at three is always a nice like average place to begin. And selling at four, we just talked about it's it's when you really don't want somebody to buy something. Yeah, mercenaries. If you're in a clearing with a bunch of other things, should be priced at four. If you've got a favor of card that someone could potentially take advantage of, it that better be at four. Coins maybe, depending on who could get it from you. Because usually as otters, we hope to be the people crafting coins or swords or teas, some high value crafting things. Because again, we do have to make up that point difference. So maybe for those cards in particular, I'd recommend a price of four. Yeah. You say here that um, you price things at four to make sure no one buys. Or if they do, they must be prepared to give you four points into forever crafters. What do you mean by that? Well, if with four meeples, I can lay down two trade posts for four points. I gain two warriors because those trade posts come with warriors and 
because trade posts are removed from the game when they're removed, those crafting slots on my board are forever open. I can never lose crafting slots as the Riverfolk Company. So once those trade posts are down, it it's open crafting season for the Riverfolk. See, that's so interesting is that it's not – you don't craft with the buildings. You craft with their vacancies, right? Their yes. empty spaces, yeah. That's a dynamic that I, I always forget about with them that – as you say, it's a benefit that they don't come back on the board, and it's an added benefit that they don't come back on your board because other people don't get a chance to remove them later for even more points, right? Right. All right. Let's talk about some of the more fringe case things that we're going to kind of talk about here and probably not as much in the we recommend this is how you play. And one of those things is dividends. All right? The Riverfolk Company have this part of their design where – they get one point for every two funds they did not spend last turn. For every two funds in their, I think it's their funds box. Is that what it yeah. is? Mm-hmm. Um, then they get one victory point. So the idea here is that you would have like one trade post that is very defended, and you have a bunch of funds, and then you don't do anything on your turn, and you hopefully score between two and four points. Okay? Right. The, the risk with this strategy is that if you lose a trade post, you lose half of the funds that are in your like funds box, which is a super high cost. But that also means that you've lost all the warriors that were defending that trade post, which is also a terrible price to pay. It, would, it ends your game right there and then 100%. if you are on the wrong side of a dividends play. So I'd say that it's a little too much risk for its rather modest reward. It's almost always better to use those funds to just draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, <laughs> almost almost always. And and you you know you can't even craft anything. You have to leave it all alone. Don't touch it. We will discuss. I think maybe right now there is maybe one window of uh, yeah. a game when dividends is useful, and that's very early when everyone's armies are not kind of masked up yet uh, between three players they can crack through your otters and kill that one trade post for sure later later in the game but turn two or three uh you know if you're sitting on five otters and a trade post and you have five meeples that you're working with you could just draw a card and do nothing else and probably be okay scoring those two points from dividends that's a nice time to just get two points Again, you're closing that 12-point gap that exists by just two quick points without having to do anything. And that kind of and you had said earlier that it's better to just use the warriors to like do something like draw cards, but this early in the game as you also said that like we don't want to draw too much heat on ourselves. So doing a little less with that draw might be beneficial. And also like dividends, I guess what if it's four warriors in there, that's two points. And so it's like it's a little bit. Yeah, it's not enough for anybody to like <laughs> be sacrifice their, yeah. their opening setup to like go and wreck right, the otters right. right now. I suppose like if if the trade post penalty wasn't in the game, like you'd have to remove half your funds, would dividends be dramatically better? Because it's short of moving a tr- removing the trade post, all the trade posts from the map, there's really would be no way to stop it. Because right. it would be like a guarantee point on their next turn. Right. Well, there has to be a trade post on the map in to order to score dividends. Mm-hmm. Um, without that component, yeah, I mean, you would just sit and do nothing and get, you know, one additional point every <laughs> turn. Like any Corvids player can tell you how powerful that can become over time. Yeah. 
Um, I I tried to do the math on my own, and I probably didn't get this right, but I think it's like six turns or something if you just do nothing on one trade post and dividends. I think you can win the game in six turns. Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty... F- yeah. But I feel like everybody's going to be talking about that the whole time. <laughs> well, that's assuming yeah. they aren't willing to attack five warriors to make sure the game continues. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's a war game. Like, you're supposed to be trying to go out and do stuff, not just, like, sit and do nothing and win the game. Like, that's so pointless. This is the most fun and interactive faction in the game, if you ask me. And then, like, <laughs> this strategy is just, like, don't do anything. <laughs> like, don't play the game. Well, live um, off of your fortune is what they want you to do. They want you to be so rich that you can just... Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar kind of gave us all our dividends info here. He called it the dominance play of otter strategies. <laughs> and I think that's right. So let's talk about just for a second. We don't have to go into much detail, but as Kyle said, yeah, you put down a trade post turn one. So you got five otters in a clearing with a trade post. And then you're hoping to sell some stuff so that we can get some things or just collect dividends and then just sit there for like three turns three or four turns until it's you just really have to be able to read the table of when they're going to be like all right enough of this conservative garbage that the otters are doing we're coming after them and so right before that then you pivot to just playing the otters normally (laughs) yeah i think at most you get two turns out of this yeah i'm really interested in trying this because if if everyone leaves you alone for three turns you're going to be at nine points like for nothing basically yeah yeah and like like we said the whole puzzle with this faction is finding 12 points or a little bit more if we can't get all our trade posts down so the free points from dividends can be awesome for that it's just that most of the time you're sacrificing way more to get way less but that's the kind of small circumstance that early game play and then you can shift to uh, kind of playing the otters normally yeah and it's maybe the product of having a really strong hand like, if you don't need to draw a bunch of cards, and it's maybe also the product of having other players who are doing a good job of checking each other. Yeah. So, yeah, just kind of read the board. If it if a light touch is possible, go for a couple of dividends points. Yeah. Yeah, be cautious because this can really turn up the heat on you very quickly. Because I think players get mad <laughs> when you're just, like, not participating and still <laughs> keeping pace. Like... I find that frustrating. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, it's frustrating from the standpoint of, like, this is a game of war. Why aren't you warring with us, right? Yeah. I get that. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's talk about another way they don't war with us, and that's crafting. <laughs> and our crafting ability as the Riverfolk Company is wild, you guys. We have permanent crafting ability because of this trade post removal thing. So we need to craft to score some extra points. So I think that mainly we are prioritizing items when we are milling the deck with our draw action. Something we haven't talked about is we don't automatically draw cards, which kind of stinks. However, we are in control of drawing cards. So in our daylight, we can commit a fun to draw a card. That is hugely important for crafting. There's like a whole strategy the otters can do about milling the deck, looking for certain items. Um, and it's very effective if you have the right trade posts out. So I would say overall, when we're milling the deck, we are prioritizing the items, uh, to kind of close that 12 point gap. Um, also, uh, an effective strategy against the otters that other people might employ 
is that they're going to try to craft all that stuff before you can, because then you're going to have less points to deal with. That is something to keep in mind. So I would say this is why we're prioritizing the items, but let's go into some of the other cards here. In the base deck, first of all, favors are totally on the table for us. We can pull this off. And the table needs to make sure that we can't. <laughs> I would, if we're playing with the base deck, I would really, it's hard to prevent them from putting out all three trade posts of a suit, but. I mean, they're most you suited really to do it, right? Like, just because you can't really disrupt their crafting ability once it's out there. Right. Yeah. It's it's a Pandora's box of crafting that we cannot put back together. Yes, back you in. cannot put Pandora's box back together into itself right <laughs> so yeah, favors are possible put the genie back into the barrel whatever yeah, the river folk use <laughs> you can't put the dollars back into the cash register you guys favors are possible and here's the thing about favors is that they can do a surprise favor they can draw into it and we had no time to prevent them from doing it and then they just do it right and that can be really frustrating, so we have to get ahead of that, okay? Um, not much we can do, but anything you can do to prevent them from getting three of a suit, like if you're lizards and you're only in one of those clearings, you know, maybe not giving them the, the meeples in order to put those trade posts down. Did you say they're the only ones that can do it, that can draw into it and craft it? The Tinker can using uh, right, tinker. day labor. Mm -hmm. I suppose... Somebody else could if they had, like, a card that allowed them to draw a card at the beginning Yeah, that's of the turn. thing is, like, it's so situational because very few people can craft after drawing, right? Right. We get to draw in the middle of our turn. And we're and in, completely in control turn. yeah, of our drawing and crafting, so that makes us very flexible. Um, a base deck, there's not as many notable cards in here. Obviously, your classics, like Better Burrow Bank, Cobbler, and Command Warren for the extra battle and move and card draw. Obviously good. It's good for everybody. Otter's no I exception. I really like better Burrow Bank in the yeah. context of the Riverfolk because that's just another uh, plane that you can negotiate with people about. Yeah. Oh, um, that's true. You know, hey, buy this service and I will give you a card draw with better Burrow Bank on my turn or, you know, whatever. I feel like that's just another way to kind of negotiate and make deals with people. Yeah, I was like, somebody's getting that card. Like, who's it going to be? You know, that's true. Yeah, I mean, having an extra card to sell for free is a great thing. I was wondering mm -hmm. too, though. Like, oh, but now I'm reducing your need to buy my cards. <laughs> You're only doing yeah. that to one other player. I, I still think it's worth crafting, but uh, something to consider. Definitely. You also don't have to do it on your turn. You can. You can. It's a right. may. So that's, you can. That's uh, true. Decide to help no one. Right. Um. <laughs> The other card I found that had a fun interaction was Code Breakers. I just liked the idea of like looking through someone's hand and knowing what they're missing from their <laughs> hand, <laughs> and then like offering them that service. Like having all of the information you have about your customers is inherently valuable. I mean, that's when you really go full Amazon, right? Where you're like, I know what you have, and I know what you need. Did I hear you need? A raft? <laughs> what is this middle manager doing in my pantry right now? <laughs> I've got a boat that I can sell you. <laughs> get out of there. Sir, get out of there. Uh, in the Exiles and Partisans deck, there's lots of cards that are super great for us to craft. Coffin Makers is crazy. Um, it can be good. It's good because when we are spending our funds... 
they are going to coffin makers. So we can kind of double dip on points with the otters we're spending. Um, obviously, if somebody else crafts coffin makers, it's a huge problem. It's pretty crazy that coffin makers is worded that way, right? Because it's like instead of them returning to a supply, it th- that's that's when they get triggered. Instead of if they are removed from the map, right? The board, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lizards and otters have a really weird interaction with uh, coffin makers as a result. Mm-hmm. Marine broker. Uh, Marine Broker, that gives us a card every time someone draws an, or crafts an item. Yeah. And that great. is great. Is it every time an opponent crafts an item, or is it every time you do? Whenever another player crafts an item, you draw a card. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Kind of in the same flavor there as Master Engravers. Every time you craft an item, it grants an additional point. Oh. That is so huge for the river folk. Yeah. We are going to be crafting a bunch. And so, yeah, I like Marine Broker because, hey, if I'm not getting the early items, you know, and that's going to hurt me, at least I get to draw a card that I could then use or sell. So th- that is really fun. Swap me, uh, obviously, is similar. I can We can trade a card, and I can sell you that card back if you really like it so much. Uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, But yeah, I think you're right, Kyle. Master Engravers is going to be the most helpful one because we're planning on crafting a bunch of items anyway. That's the most, like, direct threat, I feel like. When uh, the Riverfolk have crafted Master Engravers, like, now's the time to craft every item away from them to, like, try and prevent them from scoring just, like, enough to win the game. Yeah. Uh, You also have on here League of Adventurous Mice. Yeah. Uh, which is a crafted improvement that allows you to exhaust any items that you've crafted in your crafted items box and take either a move or a battle. And that is just so handy yeah. uh, for the river folk so that instead of spending those funds, yeah, you can just exhaust all those items that you were crafting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anytime we can synergize with the fact that we are planning on crafting these items, those cards are clutch for river folk. Yeah. Now, there's one other weird part about the river folk that almost has no purpose and that is exporting you craft a card and instead of the listed benefit on the card you ignore that and you discard the card and you place one warrior of yours in the payments box right this is definitely the appendix of uh (laughs) of the otters player board it is like tucked away under crafting and then you have to actually go to the law of root to like Get, see that it has a title and it's like a whole sub chapter or whatever yeah so yeah what's the point of this yeah um and i i don't rightly know what the point exactly is like it's a way for you to pay yourself one otter and as we discussed earlier that's not great one otter is not great yeah exactly and so it's weird because you can't craft an improvement that you already have crafted and you can't craft an item that is no longer available. So, like, if all the boots are taken right. and you draw a boot card, you can't export that boot. There's no boots available. Is it a design choice to, like, just ensure the otter has an option to get payments? I guess protectionism still does it automatically anyway, right? So Yeah, and, yeah. and it does a better job of it because you do nothing and you get right, two right. otters. Right. <laughs> Instead of, like... Uh, committing otters to blank crafting spaces, losing a card, gaining no benefit, and then putting one otter that will detract from your overall total number of otters in your payments box. Well, so it's to... Yeah. It's to aggressively discard is the 
point then, right? Is that, oh, there's a card here I don't want to sell and four, uh, four trade goods or whatever. Maybe my price is too low and I set it or whatever. But like four is too high or is too low of a price for how good this card is maybe. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to actively get rid of an item but don't want to score the item yeah. points, maybe because someone else has crafted Marine Broker or something... I still think you craft the item, though. You have to craft the item for the points. Ugh, yeah. In almost every case. The only case I can think of is if the Vagabond is in the game and you're, you want to keep a sword or a hammer out of the Vagabond or a T out of their hands, out of their grubby little paws. And so instead of keeping it in your hand and letting somebody else grab and craft it or the Vagabond themselves grabbing it and crafting it, uh, you instead discard it completely. Don't get the the points give up the crafting space and just get paid one otter it's very strange here's another one that's just coming to me if you really need to influence the outcast suit when the lizards are in play and the only cards you can do that are like crafted improvement cards that you couldn't discard that same turn then i suppose you could export those cards in order to change the outcast suit I guess so. Yeah, so you could situation. deliberately just discard one. But in in those cases, like, couldn't you just overdraw, like you had mentioned earlier, Sam, and then yeah. like choose what you discard? Yeah, you're so I, right. I think there's like almost in every case there's easier and less convoluted ways to achieve the same outcomes. The only other use that I could come up with is that it kind of could function like a gambit, sort of, where you are kind of announcing to the table, you're saying, hey. I think my services are so valuable and are set to such a reasonable price that you guys have no choice. Someone at the table has no choice but to buy from me on this coming turn. And so obviously I won't get protectionism if that's the case. Uh, but to ensure that I get one additional fund that is an otter, I'm going to export one time <laughs> to like stock the payments box with one otter. Uh, and just sort of bet that the other players will, you know, purchase something from me. Um, that's just to gain one more payment than you would have got previously for ideally a card that wouldn't have gotten sold anyway or used by you. I guess so. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. you would do it. It's so for, situational. It's very situational. Exactly. So what what I've called this strategy, the Gambit export it's not even a strategy. It's just like a weird tactic. Uh, Bad business plan, the, we're going to call it. <laughs> I've been naming it the insider trading of the River Folk Company. Mm -hmm. And uh, be careful because you can get burned because if players just leave you alone at that point, uh, you, you're stuck with that one otter. You won't get protectionism because there's technically something in the payments box. They will. If I see the otters have one payment in the box, then it's like, oh, this is the easiest turn to starve them. Because this is the turn where it's going to be the most effective. But that's, again, the criteria with which you put it there was assuming there's a game state where they need to buy from you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so Kyle beat you already at your own stipulation. God, it's oh, wow. just like so – it's such a hat on top of a hat. Like, there's just <laughs> yeah. not really a – we're here we are we're theory crafting ways to try and use this ability. yeah i mean yeah i don't think we need to go down the rabbit hole just because this rule exists it doesn't even exist as its own rule it's like a subset of crafting right it's like by the way you could yeah 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 it shouldn't it's quite strange again it's the appendix of yeah. you know the otter player board it's uh almost feels like this is from an earlier cut of this faction and just somehow like made it into the text somehow like i yeah 
but there you go if you want to try that i guess go for it yeah i'd love to see someone export sometime just for the novelty yeah. uh because i don't think i've ever seen it in a live game no i haven't either yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be doing dividends and exporting on my next three otters games i'll tell you guys that. you madman you okay. absolute madman <laughs> all right so let's get into the meat of it how are we setting up let's talk about the game plan how are we winning this game how is the game going to go kyle so i've been practicing on root digital a bunch of different approaches and the kind of general game plan that i've settled on a little bit and uh also with some involvement from our community over on the Woodland War Machine Discord, where valuable hot tips are being swapped all the time. Come check <laughs> it out. Uh, early on in the game, on your first turn, um, of course, after you set your all your prices to one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you're going to choose uh, a clearing along the river to set four of your otters during setup. Ideally, that's either a mouse or a rabbit clearing. Most often, you're going to go with mouse. Uh, because like we mentioned in our components episode, having one mouse crafter available unlocks a crazy amount of points. So opening that way just kind of like tunes your engine to be able to craft those one mouse crafting cards. Mm-hmm. All income is good income before your first turn. We kind of talked about that with setting prices to one. Mm-hmm. So wait, uh, but really quickly, what do, you, what do you recommend people set their prices at or what should they be considering at considering when setting their prices? Yeah, if you have a great hand of cards, set your hand cost to two or three, and then pretty much everything else just put to one during setup. I mean, if there's something really crazy going on, then feel free to lift the mercs. Um, But I I generally don't really see how Riverboats helps anyone that much on their first turn of the game. And because you don't get protectionism on turn one, it's good income. I could see a world where Erie could get to the pass from a corner on turn one with a thing, but that might be what you want to sell them. Like, I don't think yeah. that hurts you. Yeah, That's what I was going to ask. Does the advanced setup change this dynamic at all since corner setups aren't required anymore for factions? It does, yeah, especially in Mountain Map where the river touches two corners in the pass. That's like a, a kind of key thing that, that um, when we discuss the maps, this will definitely be a thing. But with advanced setup, you just have to be a little bit kind of tuned into what's going on on the board. And I I suggest starting into mouse clearing, but you really don't technically have to. Um, Make sure you're choosing a clearing that is, you know, your turn is everyone's turn. Like, you can negotiate this. If if you're like, I really want to start in this clearing, but I know this is going to hamper you, uh, Eerie, or cats, or anybody, lizards. Like, convince me otherwise. (laughs) I can start somewhere else if yeah. you want to like buy this card for me uh, for two on your first turn. Yeah, get the conversation started. So yeah, we're starting in a mouse clearing, right, Kyle? Because you said that that's going to give us great crafting options, and we want all four of our starting warriors in that clearing. Exactly. We kind of talked about the opening prices. What do we do on our first turn once we get going? Yeah, so you start with three funds, and what I've been doing is use two of those funds, Spend them for a trade post right away. Mm-hmm. It gives you an extra otter and a trade post. All right. Now you've got five otters protecting one trade post. And to me, what this does is it it does two things. It opens the door for crafting. And it opens the door for dividends. So that kind of like early game dividends play that we talked about now is possible because you have a trade post on the map. Mm-hmm. It gets your otter count up to five, which is pretty intimidating early in the game. 
So it could potentially make your mercenaries more valuable. For example, if they're like sitting on the, the pass or something. And then you, you spend that third fund just drawing a card. Yeah, I think that's a key thing. Um, if we had, if people bought from us before it was our first turn, I love that. Uh, trade post and drawing a card, I think, is probably the way to go uh, if you got nothing else. But if you do have other stuff, I don't imagine we're recruiting. What no, would we spend no. those extra actions doing then? Drawing cards. Dividends! Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could score one point from dividends yeah, or something but like that. Draw those cards, right? Get the, get the, get the sales going. Yeah, get, get the you, Show the table that you are willing to be invested in the game. I think if you're going for dividends on turn one with, with people's meeples, like, that's a little, like... I, I don't know. I, I will like say the, like it it's a it would be a response to the meta of the table that on turn one they are already like we don't like you. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it shows that you're not getting involved. You're too yeah. aloof. I think yeah. in that case, I think feel free to overdraw a little bit and just be like, <laughs> like no one wants this charm offensive. I'm just gonna pitch it and replace it with something like cooler that we all want, mm-hmm. like this bird ambush all of a sudden. Yeah, like, that hey, you might want too. Like if they're not gonna buy from you, then fine. Then you can craft it, not your turn. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say the other thing, too, is you could use those extra meeples to craft something on turn one. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. If it's base deck, you could craft a sappers and then already um, your otter ball becomes, you know, people want to leave it alone a little more Mm -hmm. discouraging. So that's my kind of pretty standard setup idea. I think in some specific cases and, you know, advanced setup may change this a little bit. There are ways to specifically like impede certain factions um we've mentioned that this is not great in terms of like the cat tax strategy that like you're kind of alienating a great customer um so just be judicious if the mouse clearing on the river is occupied by you know somebody who really needs that clearing like maybe just make it known to them that you'd really like to start there and that you are happy to start somewhere else if they'll pay you ideally eventually for our early game what we want to get to is two rabbit trade posts and one mouse trade post. Yeah. Right? That's like the first three that you get up should be those because that's going to unlock the most points of crafting just like right away. So try and try and do that. There is some advice on the Discord from Crewmeister, I think, uh, that said that early in the game, you can drop trade posts away from the river and still kind of like migrate back onto the river. Um, well, that's, that was one of my questions. Like, we don't, it doesn't really matter where we drop trade posts for the most part, right? Like, <laughs> obviously the suit the the suit matters for sure, but like, does its placement matter? Because really, to the opponents, it's just the point. But when it goes away, it doesn't affect us anymore, right? Well, you'd think that it's like, oh, it's one otter and one, def- you know, one token. Mm-hmm. Like, does it really, really matter? The thing is. If early in the game you start dropping trade posts, like randomly peppering them all over the map, um, separately, each individual otter is not very valuable. The thing is when they're all together and they can run along the river, they become a very scary force. Mm -hmm. And so you want to try not to dissipate your forces too, too much because they can get stuck. You know, one warrior does not usually rule the clearing. Right. And, you know, between martial law and also just the fact that battling once could take out your your newly established trade posts. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes so a lot of sense. What, what I like to do is I like to look at the spaces that are adjacent to the river, the clearings that are adjacent to the river, 
and say that early in the game, you should be trying to place trade posts there mm-hmm. and save those river clearings for the mid game, if at all possible. Well, because also very crucially, the way they build, the way they establish trade posts is they spend two funds, which are warriors, of a clearings ruler mm-hmm. to place a matching trade post in that clearing mm-hmm. and the warrior, right? So it's like <laughs> you have to have those meeples of that faction that's ruling that clearing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And the the resulting garrison just needs a means of egress back to the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one one thing I like to think of is the the otters have this kind of like octopus thing going on where the like otter ball sits in a clearing on the river, right? And then adjacent clearings, you can like drop a trade post down from the cats, for instance, and then that one lone otter can sort of like slide back to the river because you rule there. What considerations do we need to be making for our otter ball size in terms of people suddenly using it as their own warriors? Yeah. I So you basically don't really want to care at all about like hitting a number. Um, you just want to try and make sure that it's like beefy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like So rather than a number, I'm going to use a word. Yeah. Beefy. Just, always add to it like because people can buy mercenaries and try and attack yeah. you and whatever just make sure that you can withstand one or two attacks by the end game make sure that you can still rule clearings that is the so we're not concerned thing. about its size we want it to be as large as we can make it yeah exactly okay. if okay. you have otter meeples like late in the game if people are starving the otters and they're just getting protectionism that means that in order to place a trade post you have to rule mm-hmm. a clearing so that's why you need that otter ball to be beefy enough to like rule clearings as they move around the map. So you can still drop trade posts. Yeah. And Jake, you want to always add to your uh, otter death ball, but you hardly ever want to recruit. Okay. Uh, basically what you want to do is place these trade posts, like Kyle said, and use that free garrison you get to move back to the river because recruiting itself is a very costly action. Right, because it's a spend, whereas um, establishing is spend two. Yeah, right? you do but you're also spend, getting, but you get one, and you get, but you get a point, and forever yeah, after. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely more valuable to spend them in pairs because spending the singles, it, it's just a it denies a yourself points later on. Yeah, right. Um. So okay, so we've hit the mid game. We have uh, one mouse trade post and two rabbit trade posts we've got a little otter death ball kind of gathered in one clearing along the river oh things are going good wow things are Are all these mid games so nice this is wonderful i love the scenario so you've hit your targets and what you want to do is make sure that you're engaging the table still so you're talking to everybody you're you're ready to go on a quest if someone needs you to you want to basically keep the ball rolling economically so you're spending as many funds as you can, drawing cards and crafting cards, and kind of keeping that point gain going. Um, but also, this is about the time when usually like a leader is emerging on the table, right? It's like about turn four or five. Someone is jumping out ahead, and the table's concerned, <laughs> rightly. And they may look to you uh, to put on your police hat and go over there and, and bop the leader. What you need to keep in mind is... Is that target along the river? Because if so, like, definitely take him up on the offer. Uh, But if the target's, like, away from the river, be very careful. 
Because the, the one way to kind of stray as the otters is to get kind of trapped on dry land. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I've seen this happen in a lot of games where people like they leave the river to go and attack a really tempting target or to go and hit the leader in like a critical spot. They lose a couple of warriors in the process. And then suddenly they don't rule that clearing anymore and they have no way to get back to the river. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get back is to recruit one by one your way to get out guys on the river so they can like move back to there and uh that i call that a boondoggle mm. uh, so you want to be very careful not to get into boondoggles <laughs> boondoggle boondoggles boondoggles that's right <laughs> lastly it's the mid game stay flexible yeah Keep your prices flexible. Be willing to negotiate with people. If people are interested in spending funds, uh, work with them. What you don't want to do is alienate people at this critical stage of the game. You need to kind of absorb as many other people's meeples as you can right now so that when we hit the end game, you're ready to pop. So in that example you mentioned earlier where there's a leader emerging and the table wants you to go police, but you notice that where they want you to police is in what we call the dry lands. Is it a fair advice to say to remember that you have other ways of helping the table, which is your prices and, you know, selling your wares more emphatically, (laughs) right? Is like you more than anybody can respond to a need, uh, a call for help at the table with other options than going and fighting the leader. I think, I think you should exercise that right in that case. Um, I mean, read the table. If you're going to hit the vagabond, like, then you probably won't have any issues with sure. ruling the clearing, for right. example. But, you know, if you're going to hit, like, that stack of moles, talk to the table and be like, hey, look, I I can't get dragged down away from the river. Like, the river's my home. What? How about this? I'll set my prices for this ambush card really low. So you spend your meeples on this. Then you'll be armed to go in there and do it yourself. Just as by way of example. So you just, you want to be very clear. Or if you're like, okay, we'll do this, but you have to buy things for like four or something or three. Yeah. Um, make sure that you're getting value out of doing your police work. Yeah. Knowing, I mean, the whole faction is knowing the value of your services at a given time in the game. And I think that Kyle's right. In the mid game, we want to make sure that we're collecting all the last minute funds we can, because then if we're going to look like we're going to win, we might not get paid again. A good person that's going to want our help is the person who's in last place or the person who's, you know, actually in last place, whether that's on the scoreboard or not. Right. Yeah. The person who needs the most help. We want to be able to help them out for that price because we're going to start running out of money as we get closer and closer to winning. Sam, I want you to speak to this because in in your finals game for the Space Cats Beast Turtles test tournament, you played the river folk on the lake map and you were kind of like everybody's mercenary in that game. Like Mm -hmm. what was your experience in that mid game of like navigating these waters? Yeah, I just always wanted to make sure that I wasn't sacrificing my own game for the sake of anything without getting paid, right? Usually, you're going to have to be asked in root games to do things that you don't want to do for the sake of the game. But as the otters, you can always name a price for it. And if you stay competitive, then then you you always have a shot yourself to to win. So I think that's the key is like staying competitive, but never being the target. Um, and 
you you kind of get to control who the target is because you know you're selling them the advantages that they have you know if they bought coins from you you can use the things they gave you to destroy them so there's you have the most control over the balance and the entanglement in the game so i think you have to make sure to, you're using that to your advantage and making sure that the players around you are can't quite tell where you're sitting at in the ranking as well as being able to take out the people who are ahead of you. One thing I noticed about that game is you always did a great job of uh, kind of painting the picture for the table. You're like, look at this duchy player. Like they are just setting up on the banks of the lake Mm -hmm. and they've got like all these markets down. Like they're going to be crafting up a storm. They're already ahead. Like we should go like, we really should do something about this. Yeah, in that game, the it was a really early moles play where they had like six moles on two markets, and the lizards were in the game. And we all knew that with the moles drawing three cards every turn, they're going to be overdrawing and be able to influence the outcast suit a lot, right? So we knew that this setup for the, for the moles was going to severely damage the lizard's ability to check the moles who the lizards are very good at that so if the moles were already getting ahead of their number one thing so what we had to do is we had as a whole table had to come in and wreck shop um (laughs) and we did uh but it was yeah it it, you just have to i think that's the thing is you you got to play a lot of root to understand the value of each service at each point in the game absolutely um, okay, so we've navigated the mid-game. We have a nice stack of funds. Um, we've got a few trade posts on the map. We've done some crafting. And now it's time to find the win. Yeah. Uh, striking range for the Otters. They have this kind of like steady as she goes scoring, and then they kind of have a big burst at the end. Mm-hmm. Not as big of a burst as like the Within Alliance, but still like they yeah. can manage a six to eight point last turn pretty pretty reliably yeah yeah so you're you're at about 22 to 24 points and you are ready to go for your final turn you've you've done a good job holding on to other people's meeples and uh you're ready to place some trade posts and do some crafting so this is what i like to call the boring end game okay this is the one you always want uh because it's more certain (laughs) so you say you're at like 23 for instance you've got a card you can craft in your hand for a number of points, plus you have the meeples to spend on trade posts. You can just, you know, drop two or three trade posts and craft one thing, and then you win the game. There you <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> boring, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Yeah. It's perfect. Uh, and then there's every other final turn, <laughs> and probably more likely what you'll encounter. I call this the exciting end game. Mm-hmm. And you just you really have to be prepared for an exciting end game mm-hmm. um kind of no matter what because most likely the table is not going to give you a free one mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's say you start at 23 of nothing in your hand you only have otters because the table's done a good job of starving you one way to win the game is to if there's enough items left is to kind of mill the deck that is draw a bunch of cards and then craft whatever you come across mm-hmm. and sometimes that can work although it's very kind of you know random right? you gotta count some cards you got yeah, to know how many copies of each card are in the deck, and you got to look at the discard pile, and you got to think, what are my odds here? Yeah, 
if you're stretching for one point and looking for a crossbow, for example, like right. that's a good one to reach for. Right. If you're trying to mill the coins, like good luck. There's three copies in the deck, yeah, but three. still like players hold on to those because they know you can craft them. Yeah. So milling the deck is one viable way to go about it. And I've, I've seen it work really well. And I've also seen it land with a big thud. So yeah. your mileage, it's a will big deck. Vary. Like milling this deck is a difficult task for anybody. Yeah. I think it definitely is. Yeah. And you know, assuming you've kept your otter ball intact, like you should be able to trade posts at least one time. Um, if you're just stuck with only your own meeples. Right. Um, but I think, you know, as long as we're going to be a little bit random about it, you might as well battle, right? <laughs> yeah. Because at least you're bopping other players. And if you have to go another round, hopefully you've, you're able to stall for uh, stall the other potential also, contender. And I'm not sure about this, but it is the point of the game. Right. It is the point of the game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is this is the otters. They like, you know, tie the bandana around their head. Yeah. And it's, it's totally like Rambo time. So this is the whole reason you've been building the Otter Ball since turn one. If you have any room to draw a card, draw your one card. Hope for like an ambush or something. Right. And then find the cardboard on the map. Walk over there. Drop a few trade posts on the way. And then just battle it down and win the game. That's the exciting way to close out a game is the Otters. Either way, whichever way you're going, on the last turn or two, make sure you've cranked your prices to four. You don't want anybody else to get any unnecessary advantages yeah. uh, off of you at the end of the game. So that's it. You've just won a game as the Otters. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Well done. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it is true. It's pretty easy to find. There's there's a couple different closeouts, like Kyle said. You can like craft and trade post your way to victory, or you can kind of do this Otter Death Ball parade around the thing, hunting for cardboard and new clearings to plop, plop down trade posts. Um, but either way, we've prepared the same. I think you're right, Kyle. Like, sometimes you just kind of get lucky. The table overfed you a bit, and you can just certainly win. And then other times, you're going to have to reach out there and look for it just a little bit more. But that's why you build that death ball. That's why we keep them all together, so that we can make a big final play, so that we can rule clearings ourselves and plop down our own trade posts and not have to rely on people that will probably starve us at the end of the game because they don't want us to win. Absolutely. Uh, last thing I guess to mention is that if you're getting kind of late into the game uh, and you sense that, or, or like people have done a good job of crafting items away from you, yeah, and you've got like a pretty large deficit to make up, that's maybe the time when your spidey sense should be telling you to, uh, you know, tie on the headband and <laughs> go around beating people up. Because like, basically the only way you're going to, win the game at that point is to stop the person who's going to win otherwise. Yeah. And the river folk are surprisingly good at this. Mm -hmm. Uh, so be prepared to abruptly switch into a super aggressive, um, style of play for the last couple of turns. If it looks like you can't just economically win it. Well, what if, um, what if the points aren't looking good at all, Kyle, <laughs> should we go for dominance? <laughs> no. <laughs> Great. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> what if the clearings turned out real favorable for us on the river? Like, what if there's three rabbits in their distribution? And on top of that, again, this is very situational. But on top of that, the table hates you. <laughs> like, from the, out out the, from the outset, right? And they treat you awful and they don't want to play games. And it's like, well, 
Is that a desperation move? I guess if if they're not treating you well, you're going to struggle to get otters out there anyway. But that also means you're struggling to move around. So if you can consolidate on those three rabbit clearings. It's one of those things where, like, in theory, you yeah. could accumulate enough otters to, like, withstand, you know, withstand around where you've gone for dominance. I guess probably the early timing window in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, is it's really hard to get your otters into position and have enough to, like, rule that clearing in a pretty uncontestable way because you're spending funds to do both of those things and you're and an insurgent faction which is just like by default can't really do dominance you got 15 realistically warriors yeah. okay yeah it's not a lot and then yeah i i feel like maybe the corners would even be better right in our dominance thing we said we wanted to spread out but when you only got 15 and plus mercenaries makes this hyper impossible because right. yeah. people can march an army in, and then every other player can buy mercenaries and just use them to battle that army and whittle down yeah. your warriors. So Yeah. If you are going for dominance, which, again, we don't recommend, but just set your prices to four. Um, yeah. Set up in See the corners. So you're probably going for bird dominance. Like. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be hard. I th- yeah, it's the the fifteen really makes a difference, especially when you use some of those fifteens to do everything else. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Well, I thought I'd just bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the river folk aren't perfect, right? They got some weaknesses. <laughs> they got some things to watch out for. What are we looking yeah. out for? What are we weakening? The biggest thing is warriors on the board are yeah. your babies. You have yeah. to take care of them. The biggest way to stop an, a Riverfolk player is to just kill the warriors on the board. Even even a couple left over can still win the game. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I learned this in a, in a tournament game uh, in the tournament finals for the Woodland Warriors Winter Tournament, mm-hmm. where I, I left, I think, three otters on the board kind of late in the game. They were away from the river. I was like, you know what? The... <laughs> I can't sacrifice any more of my position to like get rid of this tiny, tiny otter death ball. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They came back and spoiler alert, they won the game. Mm-hmm. So that really their weaknesses, the otters on the board are super, super valuable and they are very fragile mm-hmm. uh, if you take them out. Lastly, if you starve the otters and kill their warriors, there's basically no way for them to meaningfully get back into the game. What do they do in that situation? You have to recruit pity one by one (laughs) recruit until you rule a clearing uh on the river but well you can just have meeples on the river but you have to like rule clearings in order to place trade posts Mm -hmm. so if you only have your own meeples you have to recruit up to a point where you can rule a clearing and then spend even more funds to place a trade post and in that case if you started with five funds on your turn now you're down to one yeah probably or zero so like it it's super expensive to buy your way back into the game as the river folk. So be careful. They, the warriors on the board are your babies. <laughs> Second of all, uh, be judicious about spending other players' meeples in the mid game. Mm. You know, if you are in desperate need of that second rabbit crafter, go ahead. If you have the coins in your hand, then that's fine. Um, if you, this is one thing that I hadn't thought of before, but I really discovered in my playtesting. But if, if a player's position is deteriorating like really fast and you have their meeples and you sense that they won't be ruling very many clearings uh, in the right. future, yeah. this is a great time to just like, you know, kind of like give them back. Like their stock is going down. Like you should just sell immediately. <laughs> Cash out while you can. Yeah. Otherwise, you should save the meeples that come from other players for that like end of game 
big burst. All right, so let's talk about it, because here's what boils down to playing the otters. This is the deal that everyone does, is they will go, now I'm giving you these two, okay? But on your turn, I want you to spend them and give them back to me. Everyone gets Ugh. hyper, just like paranoid that you're they're never going to see their warriors again, right? Yeah. And I feel like for the most part, it's fine. Like lizards, cats, whatever. You're rarely using all of your meeples at one time yeah. anyway, right? Yeah, very rarely. Cats can do it, but if you're like, if you don't have two, if you have 23 cats on the board, you're fine, okay? Yeah. You can do it. Um, same with lizards. You're not going to get them all, so you can just give them to them. Now, charismatic leader for the area, I understand. Yeah, your birds, <laughs> birds have a whole thing they got to worry about, so I understand from that perspective, but... Uh, what do you say to that, Kyle? When people are like, "Oh, I gotta, uh, I need these back," do you make the deal or? or what, what? I used to. I think I used to buy into that theater a lot more. Yeah. Um, and I do see it as maybe like one platform in which you can like be seen as being very agreeable, mm -hmm. and maybe earn the trust of a player that will purchase from you again. Mm -hmm. And uh, and like I said too, like during you know certain trade posts are more valuable than others. Like that second rabbit trade post is insanely valuable. Right. So like. Yeah, spending a player's meeples when they like really are asking for them. Uh, get that second rabbit trading, but like make it worth your while if you if you must. But I think like don't feel bad about holding on to them. Now the more that I've played it, I'm like, no, it's part of my strategy. Like you got the service, like you paid me. This is we're square. <laughs> yeah, I I think yeah I agree with everything you just said, Kyle. But I want to further emphasize your earlier point, which is that like you also by doing what you agree to you get some goodwill at the table. So guess what? Maybe they'll reciprocate and buy from you again, especially if you kept your word in the early part. I, so exactly. you're already starting that relationship. And that's what we're, we're trying to do. Cause I know we have like a contempt for this idea <laughs> a little bit with our, with our tone of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I get it. Like the, if you, if, if that's the drama at the table, that's what they've, that's the play they've chosen. Pick up your part and play it. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just make sure that it's worth your while. Like don't, like spend it on a random fox trade post that you're not even going to use like right make sure that it's like something valuable for you that that you need and don't be antagonistic in shutting them down be judicious like be uh diplomatic in shutting them down yeah. saying well i need those to fuel my engine but i'll get them back to you eventually and you don't know what eventually means yeah if if they can do theater you can also do theater yeah. oh, insist nice. that they move to a rabbit clearing or something like you have to get something out of it as well sure you guys can work together this just creates good entanglement. I think making it, uh, like bending it slightly to serve your ends is what the Riverfolk are all about. Fan and this is a great like avenue to do that through. Fancy Zeeling has a great quote that relates to this. Uh, they, they told us on the Discord uh, this week. They said, always do what you say you're going to do until you can break a promise to win. <laughs> and that feels right. Like We do want to give these back most of the time until it's like... Yeah. I think it's time that we stop being friends. Yes. You know? Yes. I feel too many metas that I read about, and this is anecdotal. It's just like everybody says don't work with the otters, right? But so as the otter player, that's all you want to do is to have people work with you. Yeah. So do your best to do that. If someone comes at you with a deal you don't like, don't shut them down. Just don't do the deal, but do it in a way that offers them something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Negotiate. Be open. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention as well. There was we had some chat on the Discord about like selling styles, and mm -hmm. and there were some 
people who had mentioned that like anyone who's like over aggressively like pitching their wares is sort of like uncouth or whatever mm-hmm. and this this is definitely a table by table thing yeah but really read the table like see how people are responding to you if you're like coming at them with a bunch of like you know hot deals check it out you love this card don't you <laughs> like some people might be really turned off by the mm-hmm. like aggressive salesmanship mm-hmm. um so read the table maybe like instead of just you know turning up the volume on your um products like instead maybe offer a concrete solution to a problem that they're facing uh as marcus the cat puts it like present an opportunity for someone to advance their game in a meaningful way and i think that that may unlock more doors uh than simply just shouting about the stuff that's in your hand a hundred percent like the best salespeople are good listeners so listen to what's being said at the table and also like even if they're not verbally saying it out loud pay attention to their game states because they're going to be looking for options and they might not always see it and it's your job to highlight that and say it's on sale now for only three warriors right <laughs> And it, it happens at the very beginning of every player's turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I treat that as like, this is your really quick, like, you know, chat with the otters and salesperson yeah. who's just, you know, giving you a call at dinner time or whatever. You know, I really, I really love that you're bringing this up, though, Kyle, because like we're sitting here, we've been talking for like 90 minutes about how you need like be talkative and be diplomatic and like get deals done. But like, it's so important you don't piss people off. So like <laughs> all this goes in the context of like in a way that everybody enjoys. Right. Because if you make somebody annoyed, then they're not going to want to talk to you. And if they're not going to want to talk to you, then your options are now more limited. So let's talk Absolutely. about the other people at the table. These other factions we need to interactions with, okay? <laughs> uh, let's start with the cats. Uh, Kyle, you have cats as best friends. Best friends. Ah, oh, they are going to be one of your best customers in every single game. Mm-hmm. And cats are very high value meeples for the river folk. Again, yes. the cats need to rule clearings in order to build, in order to send wood. So they're going to rule a bunch of clearings around the map. So your options for placing those late game trade posts are fantastic. Right. That's a you great know? point, Kyle. They care about ruling. So you'll also probably have your pick of suit with the cats. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like you'll get to choose where you put that trade post in the best position. So yeah, this all goes to we don't support this extortion honors of the cats early on. The cat success is your success. The more... They feel good about getting ahead. The more bird cards you can feed them and they can feed you things, you're going to win the race against the cats. So You will win the race, absolutely. especially in those like later turns. Yeah. Um, if, I, I think like more than anything, just like don't interrupt their first turn. Yeah. This is like, I'm so sensitive to this as a cats player. Yeah. If somebody is really like getting stuck in my craw and I can't build overwork build on turn one. Yeah. I'm just like, this game sucks. Like I can't even get set up. You hiss at people. I've heard you yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> so help, like help the cats out by not interrupting their first turn um, with like, you know, being super needy about mercenaries or whatever. I mean, any like, interruption of anyone's first turn is a real gauntlet throwing situation, right? Yeah, you will, you will make a like low key enemy. Yeah. 
and they might might not even help you even if they like need your services right. to like get themselves ahead in the game like they might just out of spite like not help you. Yeah, pettiness <laughs> is a weakness of the river folk. Yeah. It totally is. It totally <laughs> the fact is. fact that pettiness exists in human beings. All right. Um <laughs> the next one we got is the birds. Birds also, especially hand cards, could be very good customers. Absolutely. They also tend to rule a lot of clearings uh, because of Lords of the Forest, their ability that lets them win ties Mm -hmm. in terms of rule. So it's also very easy to spend their meeples uh, for trade posts. So again, very high value meeples coming out of the Eerie Dynasties. And again, we might have to treat them with a little kid gloves and make sure we get them their warriors back because they will be very worried if you keep holding on to their birds. So that's something to know when you're dealing with them. That they're getting them their warriors back is more important than other people. So if you don't want to make them mad and if you're not ready to break the promise, you're going to want to give those bird meeples back. If the Eerie is in the game, uh, you do want to be careful, though, on your very uh, during setup. If you have a bird card in your hand, you may want to set your prices to three. Yeah. Just so that the Eerie doesn't get a free pass out of a bad starting hand. So this is what I was going to ask, because also the cats really love bird cards for... Um, is it not overwork? Uh, <laughs> On digital, it's called Hawks for Hire. Hawks for Hire. <laughs> but wait, but is it? does it have a name in the base game or just discard a card to get an extra action? Yeah, yeah. All right. Hawks for Hire. <laughs> because they're prioritizing b- bird cards, that's my question for you, Kyle, is like, do we arrange our prices based on positioning at the table or relation to these factions or cards down on our hand which if there's a lot of bird cards it's like oh no they're gonna want those if you are playing with the cats player and you have no cat meeples offer a bird card for two sure yeah you want your funds to be full of cats by the end of the game yeah it just helps you win way easier um and the cats don't even expect you to give them back so it's fine yeah (laughs) at least they shouldn't and aren't Uh, worried about them yet anyway so also, like, a bird card for two funds, I think that's, like, a pretty good value for the yeah. river folk. Because, like, one extra action for two funds is, like, like that's just automatically a good value trade. And, like, you, most bird cards aren't going to, like, make or break your crafting for items situation either. So, I, I don't know. I think they're way more valuable for the decree than they are for the cats. And they're very handy for the cats. Yeah. I mean, they just help the cats get more, like, set up than anything. Yeah. Um, but maybe later in the game lift the price on those birds because late in the game the cats can use them to stretch yeah. for a win right but yeah. I'm, yeah i'm talking just early and I, I i see that because definitely the birds want the bird cards for that decrease mobility yeah. right because yeah. mm-hmm. they can it, you know if they see that you're starting with a bird card in your you know public hand and they go first and their um, hand sucks <laughs> yeah they're yeah. gonna buy yeah. that bird card so they can go for a charismatic leader even if their hand doesn't suck if i got two birds and a suited card in my hand but the bird card is two then yeah. I know for the next three turns, I'm going to have the most flexible decree I can possibly have. And I would do yeah. that. Yeah. And as the bird player, the only time I would want to get rid of warriors is the first turn because I have the most likely chance right. to get them back, right? You're, yeah, you're yeah. just not in danger of over-recruiting. Of, of over-recruiting, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah so the, the birds are, are really good. Uh, the only other thing to watch out for with the birds, though, is if they have an aggressive leader uh, or if they start stocking up on battle actions, yeah. be careful because they are coming for your warriors. Mm-hmm. That's one of the factions that can easily board wipe uh, the river folk in a hurry. Yeah. And uh, also be careful because the despot loves those trade posts. Like they may yeah. not mean much to you once they're out on the board. Right. But they are two free points for that despot. So be, yeah. be uh, careful where you leave them. I don't know if we've gone over this, but we're not defending our trade posts. 
We're actively no. leaving them undefended because if people take them out, it's easier to replace one I've already built, most likely, than it is to find another clearing to build it in, right? So it's so we're not defending those at all. So you're right, Kyle. Despot can clean up a lot of points from that undefended cardboard. Yeah. All right, so the Woodland Alliance. This is a faction we don't really have interaction with, but Kyle, you've got a bolded warning here. What is this? Yeah, as a Woodland Alliance player, I just want to shout out to everyone out there who starts a game and is like, wow, if I just had that one suited card, I could, like, you know, revolt or train an officer or whatever. Just don't, just don't. give the river folk anything. <laughs> you have 10 warriors in your supply, and not only do they go on the board, but they are also your action economy. <laughs> what I said is, like, if, if the Woodland Alliance pays you two meeples, just never give them back as the river folk. Right. Like, the Woodland Alliance just gave you 20% of their entire fighting force. <laughs> and If they gave you two force. meeples. Yeah. Th this is too big of an advantage to just spend away. If it's a, if it's a new player, like, by all means, just feel, spend them back. Like, mm. you know. Yeah, be nice. ruin anyone's day on purpose mm. if they're new. But, like, if it's an experienced player and they're, like, trying to work out some weird deal... Man, they gotta really trust you to. It's too fancy. Put those with an alliance meatballs. Yeah. No, too fancy to make sense. The vagabond. This is one that doesn't have a ton of interaction. In fact, one of the services the vagabond can't even purchase. Cannot purchase mercenaries. Um, Riverboats are hardly useful because the vagabond usually has a lot of mobility going on. And then hand cards is sure maybe vagabond could probably use some cards. And the vagabond. Purchases services very differently. No, they exhaust items uh, in Birdsong at the very top of their turn before the refresh. So if they have uh, unexhausted items in their satchel, they can exhaust however many. Uh, and they pay the river folk in their own meeples. So they pay with their own coin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you exhaust a boot and a sword and. The Riverfolk gets two Riverfolk meeples in the payments box, and then the refresh happens on the Vagabond's turn. So this this really doesn't happen that often, in my experience, uh, except for the very first turn in the game is a great time for the Vagabond to just snatch a card pretty much for free from the yeah. Riverfolk. Um, and that gives the Riverfolk some great options turn one. Yeah. Lastly, though, too, you got to keep in mind that the Vagabond is largely useful to the river folk as a punching bag uh <laughs> to earn some badly needed table credit um oh interesting you can really earn the favor and goodwill of players at the table by uh offering to go and hit the vagabond early or um you know if it looks like they're about to have a good game like they craft a really important item or something just be like look i will spend my turn making sure they go to the forest as long as you like buy this thing for me right and I guarantee someone will take you up on that deal. I think that's a great point too, Kyle. Just having like, it's just kind of like having another threat at the table make gives you more room to operate. You can score more points if everyone's more afraid of the Vagabond, right? Yes. And you can be yeah. the hero at the table that deals with the Vagabond. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's theater, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got lizards. Now, I will say as a lizard main all right, I totally main the lizards. <laughs> that uh, the otters and the lizards they go together like peanut butter and jelly. The lizards oh, yeah. love the otters. They should be buying hand cards on, on like sixty percent of their turns. 
I would yeah. say. Because an extra card is an extra action, and lizards need the help. And they're like mid-value meeples coming in, too, because the lizards are really good at ruling clearings. Right. Right? Their gardens give them automatic rule kind of no matter what. So uh, you're, you're going to be able to find you know, one or two clearings that you need later in the game to drop a trade post. And we'll kind of get into this in the lizard guide, but the lizards are probably going to be confined to about three clearings, okay? <laughs> so this means as a lizard player, it's very easy to buy from the river folk, and you're like, you can put three trade posts with my stuff down. And then after that, and you're you're probably going to try and save one of those, you know? So it's it's a nice balance. It's not like the lizards are really... They could give the otters the game. Anyone can if they overspend. But there is a kind of nice yin and yang here because one of the lizards' abilities to convert warriors... We talked about how costly it is to lose warriors as the otters. And the lizards can convert the otters to themselves. So there's kind of a great relationship that these two factions have. Absolutely. I What I say here is they're annoying on the map, but they're awesome in the market. <laughs> the reason I say they're annoying on the map is because uh, what, like this theme we keep coming back to, which is keep your otter death ball together. Yeah. That can be really tough if there are gardens on the map because mm-hmm. your otters can get stuck away from the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if the lizards are in the game, um, I recommend like don't send your otter death ball to go hit them unless it is literally the last turn. Yeah. Because... If you get stuck away from the river, even if you have a big scary otter death ball, like you're going to have to do that thing we talked about, which is spend individual funds to recruit until you gain rule over an adjacent clearing and can escape back to the river. Mm-hmm. It can actually become impossible if the lizards are having a great game to move anywhere. So be very careful about the map placement in the, that interaction. Um, but one other interaction I think is kind of interesting is, Sam, you've mentioned like milling the deck. Yes. As the, the river folk, overfilling your hand yes. on your turn. Well, it turns out you can do that in order to influence the outcast. And what I have here is that you can easily take that and make it a table project. You can say, <laughs> the lizards are going to pay me two meeples if I keep the outcast fox and make it hated. Right. You have a bunch of buildings and fox. Like, I can easily discard a different card and change this outcast. Gold. You want to buy from me? Like <laughs> what a cool idea. new service you provide. <laughs> I mean, that's that's such a good tactic, too, of just thinking of this more dynamically than just those three things that you can sell, right? I mean, we've always talked about selling deals, but, like, everything in this game is pretty non-binding, right? So this is an opportunity to sell another dynamic that you can influence at the table. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you're in control of the outcast, you also know where to move your otter death ball to avoid being converted. <laughs> yeah, It's one other, like, little nifty trick this discussion Uh too is also making me realize like more so than any other faction i think as otters you need to understand the other factions yes definitely because that's knowing what they want and how they use it is so important to your sales yep i consider this faction to be one of the more advanced Mm -hmm. in the game just because you have to think about four people's games all all at the same time Mm -hmm. kind of in order to like make a compelling case for why someone should purchase one of your services right you have to be of service in some way <laughs> and that requires a lot of like knowledge and being able to spot the opportunities yep. um it's a, it's a tough faction but when it's being played well like it's really really awesome to watch all right so we got two more factions here we got the moles uh sam are the moles going to be buying a lot of cards during the game i imagine so uh moles are actually pretty good at drawing cards but if they need one they'll just buy one they've got enough warriors 
And moles are going to be, again, like the birds, a, a faction that can hurt your presence on the board in a significant way. They will have the action economy to deal with it. Um, I could see them buying mercenaries for that same reason, just to be cute and uh, battle your things away. Because Just because you uh, purchase mercenaries doesn't mean you get a free battle, but the moles have access to lots of battles. So in many ways, mm -hmm. the moles... I, I would be most scared of the moles if I were the otters at the table. Yeah, they can abuse the mercenaries service for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then we also have, we have the corvids. I, I feel like the corvids have like kind of the least interaction except for the Woodland Alliance yeah. with the river folk because, you know, they, they don't really need to buy that many cards. Usually they have yeah. pretty healthy hand size for the most part. They tend not to rule that many clearings, right? It's just like one or two yeah. crows bopping around the board. Um, so... You know, being able to throw down a trade post when you have crows in your funds is like, it can be hard. Yeah. <laughs> it can be very unpredictable. There's a couple cards um, I know that really unlock the Corvids, so you might be able to score big if that shows up. Um, but other than that, yeah, they're not the best customers. Yeah. That being said, the Corvids definitely want to stay on the good side of the Otters. And that's because the, their scoring mechanism, the plots... Uh, they can be guessed and removed as a free action. And the otters can just mill the deck for cards and just use as many free actions as they feel like yeah. to totally ruin the Corvid's day. So <laughs> I'm going to try an ignorant hot take here, but uh, wouldn't the Corvid's make great potential customers because they are one of the factions that has to react the most to things on the board and like kind of has the uh, not a very strong foothold on the board as well so they are always looking for other options yeah it's just that the river folk can't provide them with the solution i think well like, uh, cards being obviously the the main thing i guess is what i was thinking of i don't know how often they need to go along the river although movement is important for them spreads conspiracies yeah but. they are nimble so they don't care about rule right but, i mean river is a new option so i, I mm -hmm. hear that mercenaries maybe yeah mercenaries doesn't seem very applicable but i right. feel like card options is really what they're looking for like they want to I mean, take advantage of a low to, cost if the if the corvettes are going to use exert to take a fourth action and instead of drawing cards in evening right then i can maybe see right. the potential advantage of like getting that card right up top yeah and then take, having the extra action available. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like basically the same thing as the cats buying a bird card. Yeah, okay. I, I'm not really sure. Maybe like a crafting yeah. thing. It's, it's this is also just say. something I'm throwing at the wall and seeing what sticks. Love it, love it, Jake. <laughs> yeah. So again, the Corvid's not going to be interacting too too much with the River Folk, um, and nothing like beyond normal, as, as far as I can tell. All right, let's bring this baby home. Let's talk about the rivers themselves on the maps we have. Ooh, I love this. So I dug into the community data spreadsheet uh, that's been maintained for a few years now. And on it, they have the uh, faction win rate per map. Mm. And it turns out that the uh, the river folk tend to do really well on the autumn map. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that this is the best river in the game, mm. uh, since that's where you're going to find the otters the most. And it kind of makes sense when you look at the map. There's five clearings that interact with the river three of those are central important clearings one of them is that like lower mouse clearing that has two uh, building slots which is not really i guess a central clearing but it is an important one um but the mouse clearing with three building slots and then the rabbit clearing with two 
are super important clearings in the game, and both of those touch the river. Um, of note, there's no fox clearings along the river, so you're going to have to reach out to get those oh, during the game. interesting. Uh, but a lot of fox clearings are adjacent to river clearings, so it shouldn't, shouldn't be too hard, but maybe this is one of the maps where you look for those slightly earlier in the game than you might otherwise that's a great point kyle i just i'm just like realizing like when you said five clearings i was like no there's four but there are five this is the only map where there are five river clearings so of course the river folk are going to have a better time on this map right yeah yeah they can slip around everywhere and and deal a bunch of damage it's very easy for them to move and find good targets do all the other maps have only four access points or clearings mountain has three and the others Mm, brutal yeah yeah, so we have the winter map, which does have four clearings, like you mentioned. And I think the winter map is decent for the otters. Uh, the river's right in the dead center of the, the map, so you can pretty easily access the other clearings, except for those two in the north, um, yeah. kind of along the little like valley up there. It's pretty tough to get to those. Um, but one, one thing that I would advise in the winter map is it's actually possible to go for a couple more dividends points than uh, in other maps, because you can kind of tuck your otters uh off to one side or the other Mm. and those clearings are pretty hard to access usually um so you can possibly get away with a turn or two of going for dividends river boats is also a more attractive thing to purchase right yes because that map is super bisected Mm -hmm. and there's so many choke points make sure you're making players aware of how they can use river boats to break into the other half of the map that's a very valuable service in this map. Good idea. Yeah, well, right. There's only two default paths to get across the yeah. half of the map, right? Yeah. It's just the north and the south, but then the river is obviously the third. Yeah. And the river provides like a really efficient way to move across the map as well. So like imagine you have a, a base of operations like at the very edge of the map along the river. With river boats, you can get to literally the other end of the board in three moves. Like that's awesome. So... Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty valuable service on the winter map. Don't undervalue that service. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have the lake map. And you'd think this would, would be like tailor-built for the otters, right? Like the lake feature is like the center of right. this map. Uh, but if the community data are to be believed, this is maybe the worst map for the otters. Um, and I think I know why. This is my theory. So the the lake does touch three important clearings. Uh but players can kind of avoid needing the river folk exactly if they want to. The, like the ferry makes it possible to scoot around in the lake mm-hmm. and players can set up their cardboard like away from the shores. And and by using the ferry, they also get to draw a card, don't they? So we have yeah, a competing exactly. grocery store in town and they're offering <laughs> free books like this isn't good. Yeah. Right. But don't forget, the otters can also use the ferry, even though they can still move yes. around the, the lake. Right. And that is a really good fund spent because you not only get to move, you get to draw a card as well. Mm. So repositioning your otters using the fairy is fantastic. Uh, and, you know, the kind of petty back and forth that happens with the fairy, you can kind of take control of that on your turn as the otters very easily. Kyle, when you say that the other players don't need the otters as much here, that can't just be because of the fairy though, right? No, um, I, I just mean they, they don't have to interact with the otters if they don't want to. For, like, river boats, you mean? Uh, because they, they can build away from the lake or set up away from the lake if they want to. In your game, Sam, in your tournament final, mm-hmm. the the moles player decided to set up shop literally on the edge of the lake 
which I thought was a strange decision because it meant that you had real easy access to them. Yeah. But like we said, the danger with the otters is if you go onto dry land, like away from the water, you can get stuck and it, it can be very hard to get back into the game. Um, and the lake map is just full of opportunities to get trapped on dry land. There's a lot of choke points. There's a lot of building slots that are not touching the lake. Uh, so you'll oftentimes find that players have kind of avoided being in the sphere of influence of the river folk completely and that they have to reach out in order to like impact the board. And that leads to them becoming trapped and having a rough time. I'd be interested to see what, there's no data on this, I'm sure, but like what hesitancy people have for building on the lake on the lake map, regardless of what factions are on there, because like the ferry is so attractive it incentivizes factions to use it. Therefore there's just a lot more traffic there, which feels threatening, right? They feel less secure down there. Yeah, and, and maybe that's it, too, that um, since players are able to, like, access all the same clearings mm-hmm. as the otters mm-hmm. using the ferry, like, maybe it's just easier to suppress the river folk on that yeah. map or something. Well, it's it's those those clearings are so much more accessible, therefore kind of vulnerable, right? So instead of a clearing being adjacent to two, it's adjacent to plus three whenever it's on the lake, right? It's, mm. it's adjacent to whatever the paths are plus every other lake adjacent. Yeah. Yeah, I actually like this hypothesis maybe a bit more. I, I was just like looking at this community data and like trying to come up with a reason why it would be the way it is. But yeah, I think maybe the accessibility is almost more the issue. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I, that's it's just an interesting part of the architecture of these maps that I am starting to consider more and more as we do these faction things. Because the, the, the mountain map, everybody's eyes are drawn towards the past for a lot of this. And definitely with the lake, they're always drawn towards the lake, but not in the same way. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of the mountain map, this one, it's one of those ones that like kind of should be good for the river folk, but in practice can be rather tough. Uh, the river only interacts with three clearings. Two of those are in the corner, and then one is the most important, arguably, the pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, setting up on this map, like, I guess, plop all four down on the pass and say, so. hey, pay me for the points. I was going to say, it's right? kind of cool your river's on the pass. At least at least it's yeah. a good <laughs> a good clearing to be at. Yeah, but with, um, I was thinking with advanced setup, like, players are not required to start in the corners necessarily anymore. Um, so there actually could be even less... Uh, of an influence for an otters player that's just running the river uh, to kind of keep tabs on everyone on the map. Um, And again, it's one of those things where as soon as you leave the banks of the river, you can get stuck in places and it can be very hard to get back. Yeah. Uh, And the fact that there's only three clearings means that once you drop those three trade posts, like, you know, it, it may be, very hard for you to find other clearings to rule. <laughs> I can imagine clearing paths is pretty easy for the river folk. I mean, cards are what we want to sell, but usually there's a couple dinkers in there that we can discard to get an extra point or two. And any anytime we can score those extra points, that's good, right? So if we can get a couple pass points and a couple points from removing the path markers, then we, you know, then we can kind of make up for it in other ways that you can't on other maps. Yeah, so maybe it's a good idea to check out the clearing distribution yeah. uh, before you draft the river folk on the mountain map. Just to take a look, because like, if it's like two rabbits and a mouse on the river, like, heck yeah, like definitely consider the river folk for that game. But if it's like a couple of foxes and a rabbit, like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Maybe maybe go for something else. Um, but 
I don't know. I think that I think they're competitive on every map, which is one of the few factions that we can truly say that about. I think that's right. Uh, yeah, it has so much more to do with the other factions at the table than what map we're playing on. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I love them for that reason. They just like yeah. when they drop onto the map, everybody looks at them as a variable, right? Yeah. I suppose in an asymmetric game, that's true for every faction, but this is one that has the most interaction, so it's a variable for everyone. Yeah, not just that player. It's such a fun faction to play. It's just so much fun to interact. I feel like more interesting game states happen when the river focus in the game. It is. I've taken a couple root surveys or whatever when people are like, what's your favorite faction to play against? And it's always, for me, the Riverfolk Company because it's going to unlock things for my game and other people's games and the entanglement of the whole thing. Yeah. So if, I mean, if a lot of people say, what expansion should you get first, right? Should you get the Underworld expansion or should you get the Riverfolk expansion? Obviously, there's more content in the underworld expansion and having another high reach faction is probably the most important thing to make your games different. But the river folk add something to the game that is not in the underworld expansion. And it just brings the table a little bit more to life, especially if you're playing five players, one of those players should probably be the river folk. I don't know. Oh you know, yeah. It's, it just lends more customers. itself to those kind of games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More customers, more, more wackiness can ensue. It's true. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a whole nother meta conversation to have about these guys, kind of like how we did with Vagabond, but I don't think we need a full episode for it. But the next time we do another meta episode or talking about table talk, we should definitely have a whole section for... For how to handle oneself as a salesperson. I think, I think we've only scratched the surface of it because... As we talked about earlier, like you can be offering stuff all the time, but if that's actually more annoying, <laughs> then you're hurting yourself at the table, right? right? So be diplomatic, be a friend. the 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 cliche of the customer is always right is an awful cliche, and it's also not true because generally speaking, customers are not correct about how you should run your business. But <laughs> make them feel like they're right at the table, and especially during the game. Then after the game, after you've won, you can tell them what they did wrong. But until then, make them feel. <laughs> Like they're making great choices. Yeah, step into the magic circle and uh, you know, put on your your salesman hat. Um, yeah, we should definitely have like a little mini episode where we have like the Woodland War Machine like sales class tips and tricks for how to give a good handshake for the Riverfolk Company or whatever. <laughs> how to win friends and influence denizens. <laughs> Speaking of, we have our Discord denizens to thank. We got Marcus the Couch, Garrick Samples, Justin K, Germ Curry, Nevikineza, shouts to Nevikineza, Fugless, Fancy Zeeling, Aquaman Boss, Crewmeister, Prestain, Fancy Mr. Trickster, Opie's Funeral, Squidmark, Nitro Rev, Sea Coyote, and this just 10. Thank you guys so much. Uh, if you guys want to join in on the conversation, please come to the Good Time Society Discord under the Woodland War Machine channel. We're always having conversations. If you want to give us input on the episodes we're about to do, that's the best place to do it. We love reading your comments. Please keep sending them in. It's it's just a, it's a joy to, to see our little root community forming. And uh, my favorite thing to do with my root community is to chant... Uh, you're going to have to buy these watermelons. <laughs>
Sir, I am leaving. 